You're listening to Comedy Central. Senator Harris, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> I know, I feel very apart and yet close to you, Trevor. <laughs> it, it has been quite a journey that you have been on. I mean, it's what, 20 months ago, you were on the campaign trail in the primaries, vying for the seat as, as president. And now here you are just a week away from possibly becoming the vice president of the United States. I mean, there are so many other issues that still need to be dealt with in America, but coronavirus and the dealing of, with this pandemic, it's the issue. And you see it worldwide. France announcing new shutdowns, Germany as well. In the rest of the world, it feels like people deal with the virus. You know, the nation has an idea of what to do. It's top down, everyone does it. The people win, they go outside. If it gets bad, the people shut down a little bit, but they're managing it. In America, it feels like it's either the argument is all locked down or all open. And the Trump campaign is saying, well, we're the the, the campaign of open up the country. And they say the Biden campaign, Biden-Harris want to lock things down. What, What is the actual plan for what you want to do when you get into power? Well, and I appreciate the way you've asked the question. What is actually at play, right? As opposed to the rhetoric. What is actually at play is back in January, Donald Trump knew the seriousness of this, knew that it was contagious, airborne, deadly, five times more deadly than the flu. And he sat on that information. He covered it up and he didn't share it with the people. Trevor, can you imagine if, if, if families, if teachers, if small business owners knew on January 28th what the president knew and, and, and had the ability, therefore, to prepare Having a plan based on embracing the fact, being honest with the American people, and then embracing science to to do what we will do, which is a a national strategy for testing for for vaccines when we have one, which will be free, Um, but also dealing with another piece of this, Trevor, which I, I really want to emphasize. In many ways, I believe this pandemic has been an accelerator, meaning it has accelerated what was messed up already right? So people who were doing badly before are doing even worse. You look at the racial disparities across the board. Those racial disparities, be it in health, be it the economic racial disparities, wealth disparities, across the board, they were bad before and this pandemic has made them even worse. And so when I think about this issue, I think of it in terms of what the solution has to look like and it has to be expanding the Affordable Care Act, not suing to get rid of it, which is what Donald Trump is doing. But Joe and I are saying, let's expand it. Joe and I are saying, look, healthcare, the body doesn't just start from the neck down. It's also from the neck up. And that's called mental health care. People are going through so much trauma, even before, and especially now. Let's address it, right? Um, these are the things that we are focused on, including lifting back up the economic condition of people. And so that's on a number of levels. And you look at the frontline workers, by the way, 200,000 of which are dreamers. And all of those people, mostly women and men of color, who are the front line working to save the lives of perfect strangers without having paid sick leave, without having paid family leave, and without having the appropriate PPEs to protect themselves. So part of our plan is to also address that and to get people the resources they need. Well, Joe and I have a plan that's about giving federal grants and support to small businesses to do things like the plexiglass barriers, because that's an expensive overhead for them to have to afford that, right? To support them so they can reopen and rehire. Um, But you have to see the people. And you have to understand their needs and, and speak to their needs, as opposed to what this guy in the White House does, which is he looks in the mirror and that's who he speaks to full time. So, so are you saying, if I'm understanding correctly, that the plan is 
too open to limit shutdowns, but to give people the tools to open? Or is it to go shutdown first approach? What, what, what does it actually mean? It means first and foremost, the problem that we are facing in terms of the economic harm and the shutdowns is because of the public health crisis. And we uh. have to get a handle on that. So we need to have a plan, which this administration has not had, for national testing, increasing the number of drive-through testing sites, for example. That's, you want more specific detail, that's one of the things that we're gonna do. But right. making sure right. that there are free testing, rapid testing, making sure that when we have a vaccine that it is distributed and that we also take into account racial disparities, listening to the experts, listening to the scientists, right. and letting that guide our approach but also understanding that there are gonna to have to be phases to this. And we're not gonna go from having these spikes in the virus to just turning on a flip and everything going back to normal. And so the interim plan, yes, includes supporting small businesses with getting them things like support for them to reopen and rehire and do it in a way that is safe for themselves and their customers. And, and, and not to mention schools our teachers and our students. Part of our plan is to invest in infrastructure. And so when we talk about reopening and making it a safe and a, and a healthy place for, for whomever, our children, our, our small businesses, right, right. we have to have a plan and the, the details um, matter. I would love to start at the beginning of the journey and go, it's interesting be being Kamala Harris because according to Trump, you are crazier than Bernie, the most so socialist person in the world. And then according to some people, you are not progressive enough. Who are you to you? W like, if you are introducing Kamala Harris to people, who is Kamala Harris and what are you going to represent when you get into that office? Let me tell you, I am the child of parents who fought for civil rights. I am the, the daughter of a mother who arrived in the United States at the age of 19 and believed that she and her children could do anything and that we should never hear no. And, and so these are some of the things that have fueled my ambition to fight for equality, to fight for justice, to fight for fairness. And when I think about the prospect of being the Vice President of the United States, those will be my values and my goals, informed by the values that are about understanding the need to, to fight for the dignity of all people, fighting for working families, fighting for the vulnerable and the voiceless among us. Um, these, these are the things that propel me. The things that propel me are to fix these problems in a way that we understand the people behind the issues. And, and not just engage in grand gestures, but engage in what is actually necessary to address the needs right. of the people. Um, you know, and yeah, the, 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 these people, I mean, I don't pay attention to the name calling. Trevor, there are some of us who have lived a lifetime of being called names and, and it is predictable and it is childish and it will not distract me. One of the biggest issues that came to the fore during 2020 was that of racial justice. It's been a difficult one because of how oftentimes it is painted as a binary scenario in America. You know, people go, all cops or no cops. And that seems to be the, 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 the argument. You are somebody who has investigated police departments, somebody who has held them accountable. It hasn't been an easy journey in America and the attitudes have definitely shifted. So my question is, how do you think America can move forward in a world where police are held accountable, but not made to feel like they cannot do their job? Right. So part of it is this, um, having worked inside the system, I decided to go in the system to change it from the inside. And one of the things that I can tell you, having spent my career there, is that there's a term 
accountability and consequence, consequence and accountability. You hear it used all the time in the criminal justice system. And almost always it is directed at the person who was arrested and never at the system itself and the people who work in the system. And we have to get to a place of agreeing. Everyone must be held accountable and there must be consequences when somebody breaks the law. And that includes a police officer, especially a police officer who has been entrusted by the public with the power and authority that they have. And so the way that I think about it is that we need greater accountability and consequence because frankly there has not been, there's been inadequate accountability and consequence when, there is a, when they break the law such as killing an unarmed black man, brown man, black woman, brown woman, or anybody. So Joe and I, for example, will ban carotid holes and chokeholds. George Floyd would be alive today. We will create a national registry of police officers who break the law. Why? Because often it is the case they're not held accountable in court, but they may get fired. But then they get fired, they move to another jurisdiction and get hired there. We need to, ha we need to be able to track that. Joe and I are saying we need a national standard for use of force. Why? Because when there is an excessive use of force, the system asks this question usually. Was the use of force reasonable? Well, you and I know you can reason away just about anything. The more right. fair and just question to ask is was the use of force necessary? These are the things we will do. But in addition, I believe that we have to reimagine public safety in America. If we want to achieve safety, it is outdated thinking to think the way you're going to do it is just put more cops on the street. The way you're going to do it is you invest in public education. You invest in access to capital for small businesses and for, for families. You invest in high rates of home ownership. These are the things that, that contribute to a healthy and a productive society. With Vice President Biden to President Obama, he was the one who would whip up the votes. He would he would try and create some consensus in Congress. You know, w with um, Dick Cheney, he was the real president of war. You know, with Mike Pence, I guess he proofreads the tweets. I don't know. But the point is, as vice president, you have a special position. You have a special relationship with Joe in that you are trying to get to the same place, but sometimes you see the world in different ways. What do you hope your role will be in helping Joe Biden achieve what the Democrats and what the voters have asked of the people they voted for? That's a great question. I mean, here, I'll tell you this. I think that um, one of the things I love about Joe, he had the audacity to say he was gonna have a woman run on the ticket with him, and then he chose a black woman. That was his choice. And he had the audacity to do that. He understands that he and I have very different lived experiences. And he wants and asked for a partner who would do this work with him, who can give feedback and perspective around not only a different life experience, but, but joined by our shared values, right? And so I think about the work that we will do together from that perspective, where it's going to be about a lot of honest conversations with with real feedback and perspective, um, but focused, you know, primarily, of course, to get back to where we started, what we need to do to get through the tragedy of, of the pandemic, um, but also to unify our country, knowing that we have had to withstand four years of a president who spent full time trying to sow hate and division, and we need to bring the country back together around our shared ideals. You know, regardless of where you live, your gender, your race, your age, 
the language your grandmother speaks. <laughs> the, the vast majority of us have so much more in common than what separates us. And, and Joe and I are very committed to, to doing that, which is to unify our country. My final question to you is your name. Mm -hmm. Why does it seem like it becomes harder to pronounce your name <laughs> the more conservative a person is? Because I, I've noticed that there are some people you've worked with in the Senate yeah. who don't seem to know your name. Is this strange for you or does this like just remind you of growing up? I mean, any immigrant has the story, any child of immigrants has the story. How does this make you feel when you see people fighting about your name? Uh, well, that's an interesting way to ask the question because um, when I see the people who have had the experience of having been given a name from their family, which is one of the greatest gifts that a family can give you. It is the first gift that a child, usually when they enter the earth, receives from their family. It is usually informed by tradition and love and the hope and aspiration the family has for that child. It is something precious and sacred, and it is a part of their identity. And when I see people fighting for the right for that to be respected, and treated in a dignified way, I applaud and salute that. Anybody who otherwise, on the other side of that, wants to play childish games, as though that, 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 that the highest elected leaders should conduct themselves like they did when they were children on the playground, well, it speaks poorly of their appreciation for the responsibility and the role that they have. And I think it's a reflection of their, um, their values and, and maturity. Well, on that note, I thank you for your time. Congratulations on the journey that you've been on. And you. hopefully the votes will all be counted. Hopefully there will not be an insane amount of turmoil. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again, maybe from uh, the journey to the White House. Thank you so much for your time, Senator thank Harris. You. It's good to be with you, Trevor. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 